This episode of The Way Home Podcast is brought to you by Christ-Centered Parenting, a six-week video curriculum from ERLC and LifeWay. For more information, visit LifeWay.com. What does it look like to lead in a healthy way? We are bombarded by stories of leaders who are crashing, falling into sin, getting burned out, or perhaps just abusing their power. Today on the podcast, I have Pastor Pete Scazzaro, who endured his own sort of breakdown while leading a fast-growing multicultural congregation in New York City. And Pete, since then, has really been a leader in helping pastors and church leaders and ordinary Christians think through what healthy discipleship looks like. Uh, What does it look like to have good spiritual rhythms? What does it look like to have a culture of leadership that empowers uh, the people that we lead. He's got a new curriculum and kit designed to help churches walk through this process with their leadership teams. Uh, We also talked to him candidly about his own experiences, uh, the things he learned, the ways that he uh, failed, and and how God has brought him to a place where he's now helping to advise leaders and churches around the country. Let's join our conversation with Pete Scazzaro. Pete, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Daniel, great to be with you. So Pete, one of the ways that I've benefited from your ministry over the years is just kind of reading you talk about your own journey as a pastor and leader, pastoring a multi-ethnic church in New York City for many years, and uh, some of the the candid ways that you've talked about uh, your own emotional health as a leader and, and now how you're able to equip church leaders to be emotionally healthy. So do you, do you want to recap that a little bit for our audience who may may not be familiar with that? Yeah, sure. Uh, I actually started uh, our church in 1987 uh, here in Queens, New York City. But by year six or seven, it was very clear that uh, a number of things weren't working. I, I saw us recycling the same old problems over and over again. Um, I One of our church plants had had a split. We were planting churches quite rapidly at that point. We were growing numerically, but one of our churches had a split and I found myself very angry and bitter and felt betrayed and didn't know what to do with all that internal stuff, didn't have a theology for it. And then my marriage wasn't going well. I had four small children uh, and Jerry felt like a single mom, my wife. And so it was this culmination of really just hitting a wall. And I again, I just was so frustrated that people were changing but not changing deeply. And then some things weren't working for me that God got my attention, and it led me on a journey into uh, what we call today emotionally healthy spirituality, but really an integration of emotional health and and a slowdown spirituality in my own personal life and our family and then our leadership that really, for the last 22 years, has just catapulted us into a phenomenal journey personally and maritally and family and church and, you know, so our work over the last 22 years has been really unpacking this, but it really comes out of a pain and crisis. I like to sometimes say that we were on the verge of you know, the worst moments of our life, what we thought was the worst moment, turned out to be the best, where God met us and um, you know, just took us in a whole new direction. You know, we, we almost didn't make it, but God's grace reached out to us. And so I stand before you here in this podcast, very grateful to be where we are today. Mm. In, in the course of reading your story, I'm sure it really touched a nerve with a lot of pastors and church leaders uh, who 
felt the same way that maybe they're running crazy, you know, pastoring a church and doing all sorts of things and and leading people and yet find a little of their own kind of spiritual emptiness inside that they're they're not emotionally and spiritually healthy, their own formation is lacking. And so what have you found as you you know, travel around the country and speak, and as you as you talk to leaders, particularly pastors, wh- have you found this uh, widespread? Oh yes, I, I thought it was just us in you know New York City that were neurotic, you know, and out of control. Uh, I had no idea that it was actually global, not simply uh, a North American problem. So yeah, I'll, oh, there's a deep resonance with I think our story is everybody's story uh, because I think it touches on some of the gaps in the way that we do discipleship and some of the gaps in the way we do leadership development. I mean, Jerry and I were evangelical poster children and that we had done everything, read all, you know, all the leadership conferences, best seminaries. I mean, we were reading all the books. We, we were doing everything that we should have been doing, that we were exposed to, but it was not sufficient and it had gaps in it and those gaps almost killed us. So no, it is not, I find that it's not just us in New York. It is global. And I truly mean global from Asia to Africa, to Europe, to Latin America. These are global problems within our evangelical churches. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's something about the way that we, we are kind of formed to lead uh, as pastors that, you know, in in one sense, we, you know, we're compelled that we want to build churches. We want to reach the world with the gospel. We want to shepherd people well. We want things to kind of be bigger and better and growing and that it, it kind of cuts against the rhythms that we need for for our formation. Absolutely. I think the gift of being an evangelical, or so many, and I came to Christ at 19, uh, is bringing the gospel and bringing the glory of Jesus to the world and mobilizing people and out of response to grace, going out you know, for the Christ. The problem is that we're overactive. We're not really reflective. Uh, we skip a lot of biblical truths that are just clear in Scripture, like be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him, and uh, you know, lamenting and grief. We just we end up being superficial and shallow. So you know, one mile wide and an inch deep in our discipleship, and that's mm-hmm. where it gets us in trouble. So I, you know, it's been rightly been said, and studies have been done on this at this point that you know, ninety eighty five to ninety percent of people in their journey with Christ get stuck as evangelicals because we don't have a theology or discipleship large enough to get us through the walls that we inevitably hit. And so that's why you know I've moved my life to discipleship, starting with leaders, but the church has got to, I believe, make some adjustments, serious adjustments, especially in light of what's happening in our culture. The discipleship we did 20, 30 years ago is just so inadequate for what our people are confronting today. So you know, I don't think I was equipped properly even 30 years ago when I planted our church for the intensity of an inner city church plant and all the stuff that we were confronting. Uh, and I remember saying, like, all I know is what I'm being taught at these conferences is not deep enough to change the kind of people I'm working with. We got big problems here. Mm-hmm. So it just seems like obviously we don't want to separate, you know, theology from the practical aspects of leadership and yep. some of those things that we need to learn how to manage people. Uh, but sometimes it just seems like the balance has shifted so much toward pragmatism and bigger, better, faster. Yep. And and there's a kind of lack of soul care for 
for pastors. And I'm not even thinking of, you know, people who are pastoring huge churches, mega churches. Yeah. I think I think that's a big problem as we've seen in the last few years like, you know, a handful of, you know, mega church pastors kind of falling and, and yep. their lives cratering. But even I'm thinking of the guy who's pastoring a small church who's trying, Absolutely. trying to keep it all together. He, yep. you know, his family, and he's trying to get everything working in the small church. He's not able to go to the big conferences. You know, yep. he, he reads these leadership books and he, it doesn't scale to him because he can't, you know, gather his creative team because it's, you know, some volunteer or whatever. Like, how does that person guard their emotional health as well? Yeah, and I would I would say you're right. I mean, I don't think it matters what size church it is, whether it's uh, 50 people or 100 or 200 or 5,000. The pressure of leadership is just, it's really challenging. So I, I would say I, I have, there's, to me, there's two two key components that are, I think are missing. One is, and again, I we say I say the word emotional health. And I mean, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable, but it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And what that means is that, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, that the way we measure maturity in Scripture is by love. So Paul said, by mm. approachability, we're safe, we're non-judgmental, we're not touchy, critical, cold, like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We actually are merciful and kind. That's the real measure of maturity. Um, that's what, under that rubric is emotional health. But to get there requires, I'm reflective, I'm looking at things like how my family of origins impacted me. I'm able to do grief and loss. We have a whole book called Lamentations, right? But very few Christians actually have a theology of what does it mean to grieve our losses and wait on God and trust him for resurrection life? I mean, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments, but you know, I wrote a whole theology paper on lamenting in in seminary, but no one ever applied it to my life, you know? Uh, and so, and then it's secondly, it's not this emotional health piece. It's, it's, a, it's a slow down spirituality where I actually have uh, rhythms and I've got some silence and stillness and Sabbath keeping. I, I'm, I'm, so I'm still doing mission. I'm involved in bringing the world to Christ, but it's coming out of a deep life in Jesus. Mm. And I'm present with myself in him. Man, that's, that, that's really good. I mean, I think... You know, someone who's been in ministry for you know most of my adult life, it's easy to get you know sort of wrapped up in the machinery of it and the mechanism yeah. of doing work for Christ without actually having that you know cultivating that rich inner life with Him. Yes, but we lead out of who we are, and who we are is more important than what we do, and because it informs everything we do. It's our presence. I mean, it was Jesus' person that had authority, right? It wasn't just. Mm. He was giving clever sermons, brilliance. It was his person. You touched him and life flowed out of him. I think that's the that's the kind of people we want to be. But that takes a, a certain discipline of walking with Jesus, abiding in him over the long haul, and doing the hard I call it doing the hard work of discipleship and resisting the idols of the culture that exist in our churches, like like running after numbers or comparing myself to other people. Uh, or trying to get people to like me or impress people. You know, am I doing Twitter, you know, and Facebook so I get followers to feel mm. good about myself? Or am I doing it as a as a ministry to help make disciples and develop people for Christ? And that's a motive issue, right? That takes reflection. Um, am I listening to what God has for me and what he's given me to do? Or am I trying am I doing stuff because other people are doing it? Mm. See, that takes just time and space and I wasn't doing that before I got into this journey of, of integration. Again, I'm talking about missing gaps and pieces of our discipleship that I think is killing our leadership 
and really hurting our churches. And so, as one person said to me very well, he said, I, I was a Christian 22 years, but actually I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just kind of listening to the Bible, doing the Bible. I'm reading the Bible, listening to the Bible, but nothing's actually changing inside of me. Mm-hmm. It's all intellectual. That's a tremendous problem today. Mm. How do we, um, beyond cultivating the the inner life for leaders, and one of the things that you're really focusing on now is helping churches cultivate an environment where there's healthy spiritual formation. And yes. uh, I'm, I'm glad you're working on this, and I'm sort of looking at this um, this emotionally healthy discipleship course that you have with Zondervan. Yep. And I guess first of all, you know, if you're talking to a pastor or church leader. Yep. who wants to do this in their church. What's some advice you give them? So what we've done is, you know, I, I've been working on this, again, 22 years of the journey, and I've written a lot about leadership in particular, uh, and realizing about five years ago, we've got to bring this down into something that can, into the church, a discipleship that integrates all this material so that we can transform the culture of a church, so that people are not just attending churches and kind of in a consumer mentality, spectating, but actually being deeply changed by Jesus for the sake of the world. And I also realized that leaders need to have a deep discipleship if they're going to make other leaders. In other words, leadership development flows out of great discipleship in churches. And just getting people to attend and attend attend church on Sundays, go to a small group and serve is not going to transform people deeply. It's It's important, and I believe in that. And so what we do is we, we, we took all our materials and put it into a, we call now an emotionally healthy discipleship course that a church, a pastor and leader can bring into their church. And what it is, is I call it an introduction to a discipleship that people are deeply changed by Jesus. So, I mean, I can give you a few elements of it that makes it different, but it's not a plug and play. It is the leader wants to begin to live it in their own lives first. Mm and then bring it. So it's gonna flow, it still flows out of your life on life. It ha- so I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big program guy. I, I don't think programs change people. You know, Jesus changed people. And, and, and it's life on life changing. And I can't give what I don't possess. So it's gotta flow out of the leader's life. We give now our life to other people. And so what I've tried to do is create a, a structure so that the leader can do that well. So with scripture, with, um, I call it a course. It's not a small group. It's, it's a serious course. People are doing homework. They're reading a book. They're, they're doing exercises. I mean, like, this is like serious. And that's a big shift for people. They're not used, like I, one, my brother said to me in his church, he goes, we don't, his small groups, we don't do this kind of serious stuff in our church. Like, this is really scary. We don't look inside uh, that deeply. So it, it's a big shift. It's a very counter-cultural way of approaching being a Christian. It's like, you know, serious discipleship. You know, discipleship is one of those words that we all talk about. I'm, I'm actually grateful for this kind of, you know, real push in the church in the last decade of, of really, you know, for discipleship. And there's a lot of good, good curriculum out there, yep. good help out there, good systems out there. I still think that for the average Christian who's coming to church, when you say the word discipleship, I, I don't think they always know what we mean. Does that mean I'm going through a curriculum? Does that mean I'm going through uh, a course? Yep. You know, when I'm supposed Excellent. to disciple somebody, what does that mean for me to do? Can you demystify yep. discipleship a yeah. little bit for us? Yeah, very simple. My life is I follow Jesus. I mean, if you're a Christian, we're saved by grace. But can I be a Christian 
and not be a disciple? And I would say to you, in, in the New Testament, no. I mean, like, like Bonhoeffer once said, a Christianity without discipleship is a Christianity without Christ. And what makes every person that comes to church, by God's grace, if they're a Christian, they're a disciple. And so our work is to teach them, how do I follow Jesus? I mean, that is what it means to be a Christian. How do I live in this new family of Jesus? And so that's to me, as I'm listening for his voice, he's the shepherd and I'm following him in every area of my life. And so, for example, that, that, that means my, my, like, and this is the foundation of the, of the discipleship courses, is my, the foundation of my life is abiding and listening to Jesus. Mm. You know, John 15. So I've got to develop, most people are living off other people's spirituality. Mm. It's a secondhand spirituality. Mm. And the goal here is people begin to meet with Jesus twice a day and they have built into it, not just reading scripture, and something devotional, but they're actually being still before the Lord and they're listening, mm -hmm. uh, being quiet, uh, receiving his love. You know, it's about communion with a person, a living person called Jesus. If we don't have that right in our churches, it doesn't matter what programs we do, what we preach and how big our churches is, uh, Jesus makes it very clear, there will never be fruit that remains, mm -hmm. will never impact the world. That, that, first of all, is one of the greatest scandals, I think, going on in our churches is how few people are actually cultivating a deep relationship with Jesus on their own. Mm. They meet with Jesus in a small group in church, but all, most people are not doing very much outside that. That's a, that's a first crisis. Mm. So the course is kind of, that's a huge emphasis um, in the courses, helping people cultivate their own relationship with Jesus. And I, don't, I don't want them living off my sermons. But then secondly is this content of a deep dive on the inside, like how my family of origin has impacted me today. So for example, because we're in the new family of Jesus as disciples, we live life completely differently. We define success differently. We do uh, money differently. We do sexuality differently. We do family differently. So that's discipleship. How do I live in this new family of Jesus? And then we actually, in these courses, we broke down, we teach people, how do you love people? How, how do we do conflict? We don't do it like your family. Passive aggressive, silent treatment, sweep it under the rug, be nice. No, like in the new family of Jesus, we actually uh, speak clearly, respectfully, and honestly. We don't lie. We we negotiate our differences. We do what we call clean fighting. So over 22 years, we developed these eight skills because we realized that the church doesn't really disciple people in relationships. We disciple people who like love God, but we don't think about like I know, but how do you love people? That's what made Jesus different than the Pharisees. He he kept saying, guys, you don't get it. It's not just loving God. It's loving people. It's mercy, you know? And, and uh, they were just, they, the Pharisees were cold and condescending and arrogant and judgmental, and they couldn't get the love people piece. And so we made a very big piece of this. It's not, it's loving God and loving people. Uh, that's most, very, very few people have been discipled on how to do relationships, mm -hmm. uh, conflict and all that kind of stuff, listening, speaking. That's really good. Yeah. Because I think yeah. there's an aspect of discipleship that just seems like taking in information, right? Like just yeah. absorbing information. You know, as a pastor, I've, I've kind of encountered two groups of people. I mean, one is the the earnest learner who really wants to study and grow, you know, by really knowing the Bible and knowing theology. And it always excites you as a pastor that you have people like that. Yeah. But then there's a kind of a disconnect between that and sort of, as you said, learning how to handle relationships? What does it look like in my day-to-day -day life? How does this live out? And then I've, it seems like I've encountered the other kind of person who kind of doesn't want to learn and grow and take in any new information and kind of, uh, you have to just kind of pull your teeth to get them to kind of 
study anything or read anything. Yep. And so how do you get people engaged in this? Yeah, well, I think I think we have to first we have to frame very clearly as pastors and leaders that to be a, again to be a Christian is to be a, a follower of Jesus. I, it means I'm a learner. I mean, the very word disciple means I'm a learner. I'm 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 eager to learn. So do you understand the contradiction? I'm not interested in learning and growing. Uh, that's the essence of what it means to be a, a Christian. A disciple is I'm, I'm a learner. So I would I I personally went to, like I'm tired of playing church. I don't have any interest in pretending and. Uh, everything's fine when it's not, or building a crowd and feeling good about myself. So I got a big crowd of people. I want to build a church that's going to impact the world for Christ. And so I want to call our people to discipleship like Jesus did. And so that's the normal Christian life. That's not the radical Christian life. That's just what it means to be a Christian. And so, for example, we'll make everybody do a, a genogram. Like it's part of the course. We basically say this emotional discipleship is like this is a basic framework to be a follower of Christ. As how and then we then we flesh it out as as a church. So for example, if you were you know in our church, I'd say okay, we're going to do a genogram. We call it genogram of your family of origin going back three to four generations on how it's impacted who you are, and so looking at how your family did relationships, how your family did connection, how traumas from your past impacted who you are. Um, you know, Jesus may be in your heart, we like to say, but Grandpa's in your bones. And what that means is that you may be a Christian, but deep in your bones is how you were shaped in your family growing up your first 17, 18 years. And so you've got to be aware of these things so you can change the stuff that does not belong in the new family of Jesus. So for example, when I meet a, you know, I was at a pastor just recently, you know, and we're looking at his genogram, his history, and he had all this trauma, uh, I mean, tremendous trauma of his, you know, parents dying young and siblings dying young. I mean, it was all this tragedy. He came from, you know, another country and now he's pastoring in the United States. And I said to him, I said, well, how, and he had, he had zero emotion about it. And I said, well, how are you like processing? Well, how do you, how do you feel about this and process it? And he said, said to me, I, I don't feel anything. Mm. And I just thought this is a discipleship issue. He's leading a whole church of, you know, several hundred people. And, uh, but you understand, like, unless he does this journey of some inner work of how it's impacting him, so he doesn't do feelings, um, he's probably very hard, I'm imagining he's hard to get close to. It's hard to love when you don't do feelings, because love's about, you know, heart to heart, not mm -hmm. head to head. I'm sure he's a great preacher, you know? Mm -hmm. But if we're going to do transformation of people's lives. It's heart, that, and, heart and head. That's exactly right. So, but he's got some hard work ahead of him. And I didn't have that much time with him, but... But you know, I hope he's gonna you know stay with it. But it's scary. I mean, I had stuff in my background that was really painful. I had abuse in my family growing up, and my mother had mental illness, and so I I, I had a lot of scars. I came to Christ at nineteen, but for the first uh, till I was thirty seven, I never looked at those issues. I I was just reading the Bible, preaching, building the church, but no one ever brought it up. But it was so shaping my marriage, and it was really shaping how we built community at the church. It was affecting my it affected the entire church, but I was unaware of it because I wasn't reflective and no one had kind of helped me get access to what are the issues. And I was not a good lover of people. I mean, that was not part of my discipleship. So do you understand my discipleship had some big gaps in it, but yet I'm pastoring a church, you know, a large church. I had planted three or four other churches at that point. And it's really embarrassing uh, that I can be an emotional infant and be leading a church. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, the head and heart thing you talked about is, I think is important when we're talking about discipleship. I think one question I want to ask is, you know, how has um, 
kind of the digital age maybe change the way we think about discipleship or change the need that's out there? Uh, and specifically, I'm thinking just, you know, even though we're more connected than any generation in history, you know, survey after sur- survey shows shows us that people are more lonely than than ever. And so how does that change the way that church leaders and, and, and lay leaders really think about discipleship? That's, that's a great question. I, I would say the digital age has really amplify the problem. So and actually, like, let me give an example. A discipleship course has two parts, a spirituality course about my relationship with God, and the second is relationship course, my relationship with people. Right now, young people in particular, I'm talking about folks, teens, 20s, you know, 30s, who are really deep in, you know, digital technology, are so struggling relationally. And there's such a tremendous need. We, we can't, when we, we can't even publicize a relationships course because it's filled immediately. People are so young. People in particular are so desperate to figure. How do I have good relationships with boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, bosses, family, and they, they're looking for connection. I think that the technology, as you know, people can be are extremely lonely. You know, presenting a projected face of everything's great on Instagram. You don't put your bad pictures up. You put your good ones up, and so. I, I think there is the, there's a there's a, a real awareness of pe- people are broken. They're looking for experiential learning, they're looking for relationships, and I think that that is a great opportunity for us. I I, I don't see it as a bad thing. I I think it's a it's a a need, and so we have an opportunity. I think in the digital age to really bring Jesus to people and really meet a deep felt need to the gospel that has potentially wonderful implications for what God's given us to do as the church. Mm, that's, that's really good. I guess my last question is this. Uh, if you were you know, to encourage a pastor who's listening, who feels kind of really stretched and is trying to, to sort of really start to care for his soul and start to care for his inner life with Christ, what, what kind of encouragement would you give him? Well, you know, I'm going to, I'll be very clear in unashamedly so uh, for a pathway because I'm, I've been in this now for a very long time. And uh, I, I would say to you, you want to begin doing what you want to bring your church into. Again, you can't lead people. You've not gone. You can talk about a journey, but you, you know, where, where people should go, but you've not lived it. So it's not going to stick. So I would say to you, one, I, I would, I would, I would get order this emotionally healthy discipleship course leaders kit. I would get it. Go to our website and get it. Secondly, I would get trained on, well, how do I actually use this? How do, how do I, and it's a three hour, I do a three hour live stream every month. Come to it. And then I would, for you, start to live it, you know, start to get into the material and let it impact you personally. And then I would bring it to your church as a pilot, small pilot. In other words, you're going to be in it yourself. You're beginning to live it. And then you bring a pilot, some people to your church in it, because it's not just you know, when you're leading, it's not just you, your personal life. It's it's you're you're, you're working on yourself personally, but you're also leading people. And so you you want to hold those two together and lead out of who you are, out of your weakness and brokenness, and very honestly about your journey. But you've got to get on your own journey yourself. Uh, and so again, the church doesn't need program; it needs us changed out of which we lead others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so really my, my, that's my recommendation for you. It's very practical. Um, I, you know, go to our website, emotionallyhealthy.org and I just make some first steps. I, I know you don't have time to make the first steps, but you don't not have time. 
to begin to build some rhythms into your life in this chaotic world, uh, get to Jesus in a deeper way, more significant way, and then begin to bring that to your people. Hmm. Well, thanks, Pete. I just appreciate your ministry. I appreciate uh, what you're doing on this subject and encourage people to, to check out Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which is a, a great course uh, for pastors and church leaders and ordinary, ordinary Christians. So thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure to be with you. If you're a parent, as I am, undoubtedly you're facing questions about how to explain issues like sexuality and gender and technology and race and identity to your kids. It seems like the world in which we're raising our kids has gotten a little bit different than the world in which our parents raised us. How do we tackle these important questions and train up our kids to love Jesus and love the Word and to live on mission in their day? Well, the ERLC and Lifeway Christian Resources has teamed together to bring you Christ-Centered Parenting. This is a unique six-week video curriculum that is specifically designed to help parents, youth pastors, anyone in a position of influence over children to really help answer those difficult questions that our kids have. We brought together experts from around the country, including Bible teacher Jen Wilkin, Pastor Ray Ortland, Dr. Russell Moore, Trillia Newbell, and many others to sit around a table and to really think through some of these difficult and important questions. It also comes with a very comprehensive study guide that is age-graded for each level of your child's development. So I encourage you to check out Christ-Centered Parenting from ERLC and Lifeway. You can go to lifeway.com or your nearest Lifeway Christian store to purchase your copy today. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.